Father, uh, tonight we do look forward. We look forward to getting into your word and being uh, just nurtured by your word. And then we look forward, God, to be able to come to your table and celebrate what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray that as we look at this section here, as, as Paul just is pouring out his heart to those believers in, in uh, Colossae, Lord, I pray that it would impact our lives. That we would understand about this thing we call the church and Christianity and, and what the reality of it is, at least from your perspective. And God, that that would become more real in each one of our lives that we would be men and women that flesh out this, this thing that we call a, a relationship with you. So bless this time, and God just encourage us in it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, last time when we were together, we looked at Paul kind of talking about uh, the whole fact that Jesus is sufficient, giving us all the information. He's the one. He's sufficient. And then Paul talked about the privilege of being a minister. Now he's going to talk about that a little bit more. It's like that triggered something in him, and now he's going to get more involved. And you know, what's amazing to me is when you read about the Apostle Paul and you look at the stuff he did, that guy was like an energizer bunny, man. Like he did not stop and he kept going and no matter what came his way, he just, he just walked through it and, and, and went through it. And what an encouragement it is for us, at least for someone like me that's in ministry full time. I look at Paul and, and I always say, man, when I grow up, I wanna be like the apostle Paul and, and kind of walk the way he did. But here's the important thing. Ministry and I believe we all have ministry. Some of us more, uh, more public ministry, but we all have ministry. If you're, if, you're, you know, if you're breathing and you're a Christian, you have ministry. And in our, in our era, it seems like people are taking a lot of it for granted, and a lot of people are like on cruise control. There should be no such thing as cruise control in ministry. And worst of all, if you're in any kind of public ministry, you should not be lazy. I've watched some lazy people in ministry and it's just like, it just gets to me. Because listen, we have the privilege of representing the king of the universe to people. Why would that not impact us and make us think about? And again, no matter where you're at, you can be in different places. You don't have to be a public ministry, but man, we get to represent the one who created everything. And I don't think Paul ever got tired of that. I don't think Paul ever got tired of thinking about that and letting that impact what he did. So he brought up at the end of, the, uh, uh, of verse 23, he brought up, listen, I, Paul, became a minister. And, and again, I've used that term a few times. And when we think of minister, it's kind of, that, that word's kind of ruined today. Have you ever noticed how some things just get ruined when they're overused or, or used in the wrong way and you kind of get just used to it that way. Someone put it this way, like a knife is really good till you like cut against a rock or something and then you dull it. And that kind of happens with words at times, doesn't it? Like they get overused and done and they get dull. And, and generally, we hear the word minister, we think of, of uh, you know, I don't know what your perspective of that is. Might be bad, might be good. But if we always think of this, you know, this perfect guy who's gonna do things Minister basically means servant, at least scripturally. 
And that's, Paul never forgot that. He never forgot that he was a servant. He didn't look at this as God has called me as a pastor or a minister, therefore I'm in a special place. He looked at it as I have to serve. That's my calling. That's what I do. So he says, listen, I, Paul, he says, I became a minister. And then too bad there's kind of the, the break. And even in my Bible, it has a title in between. But he says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, I just want us to think about that. He just said, listen, he just said how powerful the gospel is, how powerful Jesus is, and that he became a minister. And then, and then he comes up with this thing and he says, listen, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. That sounds almost sadistic, doesn't it? You almost go, that's a little weird. Like, none of us, I think, like to suffer. None of us like put ourselves, well, some of us may put ourselves in position to suffer, and that's just dumb right? That's just making bad decisions. But Paul says he rejoices in it. What would make somebody rejoice in suffering? Oh, remember where he's writing from? Do you guys remember this is the prison epistles that we're studying on, on Thursday nights? He's in prison. And he's in prison because he, bottom line, because he said one word. Do you remember why Paul went to jail? Remember they were having the huge riot and they were coming and Everything was kind of getting calmed down and, and, and stopped. And then Paul said this one word, Gentiles. And it exploded, right? Because he was there to serve Gentiles. And he brought up the fact that Gentiles. And now here's what he says. I rejoice in my suffering for you. Who's he writing to? Gentiles. And here's what he knows, man. He's where he's at because of the Gentiles because He's allowed to be part of their lives and allowed to be, a, you know, quote, a church planner. And I think about that, and that sort of blows my mind. And listen, he's not rejoicing in suffering. He's rejoicing in the fact that God is using him to be able to minister to those Gentiles even while he's in prison. He's writing them a letter. I believe if most of us were really honest, honest, really, that we would not be writing people nice letters if we're in prison. We would be writing our congressman and writing and trying to get out and trying to get a lawyer. And Paul's just going, you guys, come on, man. You got this, right? So he says, listen, and now, now he says something hard. Sometimes, do you ever read your Bible? Maybe, maybe it's just me as a pastor. I read something and I go, why did you say it like that? Why did you put that in there? That's a little bit confusing. Like, you've got this powerful section here, and you have this one little part that gets confusing, and everybody goes off on that. So listen to what he writes. He says, I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of, Jesus, uh, of Christ. Excuse me? What did he just write? I'm thinking, why did you write that? Now, Part of it is we need to understand, and, and this is probably one of the most misunderstood portions of Scripture ever. He says, listen, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, what do you think of when you first read that? What is, what is the first thing that pops in your mind? Like the suffering of Jesus wasn't enough? That's not, now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the sufferings of Christ. He says the afflictions if you read all the way through your New Testament, never is the atoning work that Jesus did on the cross referred to as affliction. 
It's not that. They never use that word. They never bring it up that way. It's talked about suffering. It's talked about things. Here Paul is talking about something entirely different. So here's what I know he's not saying. And I know he's not saying it from the rest of Scripture. He's not saying that the sufferings of Christ was not enough for our salvation. I know he's not saying that. And I think it's important we understand, again, we have a working knowledge of Scripture. So we come to something difficult like this. We have to determine, what is he not saying to determine maybe what he is saying? Now, there is a whole denomination that takes this section and they build the whole idea that we have to suffer longer after we die to pay for our sins. And they have this place called purgatory, not Colorado. Because <laughs> there is purgatory in Colorado. My wife was raised Catholic, and the first time we went up to the Durango area, and we were in purgatory. <laughs> she, she wrote her friends, I'm in purgatory. So that was kind of, anyway, sorry. So it has nothing to do with what we're studying. It just popped in my head. This is not teaching that Christ's work on the cross needs our help or needs somebody else's help. I know that's not what it's teaching. And again, as I said, the word there, afflictions in the Greek word is never used talking about that. So what is he talking about? What exactly is it, it, it that Paul's trying to get across? And I believe it's this, listen, there are those who if they could, they would go after Jesus and hammer him. We have that proven when they did it. And so the next best thing is to go after us. Now, in, in the U.S., we're, we're not suffering persecution yet. We're not to that place. But Paul did. Paul was beaten. Why was Paul beaten? Not because he was Paul. He was beaten because he represented Jesus Christ. And so what he's talking about is the afflictions that people want to put on Jesus Christ are being put on him, and he's fulfilling that, what they would want to do to him, they're doing to Paul. Are you guys with me? Are you kind of tracking that's what he's talking about. Listen, he's not talking about finishing the work of Jesus. He's talking about the fact that there are people, if they could, would do whatever uh, damage that they're doing to Paul, they would do it to Jesus or any of us. Listen, listen to these scriptures. Listen to what, what Peter says in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Listen, we're going to suffer. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So that's what all that Paul is talking about. Again, he's not talking about, about you know, the, uh, finishing the work. Now, you look at Paul and you go, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. And I know some people like right now saying, Pat, you want us to get involved in ministry, but now you've just told us ministry can get kind of stinky and it can get kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it can. As a matter of fact, I think it should at times if you're really doing ministry. John MacArthur said this. He says, a Christian, and, and then we lose our joy. He says, a Christian who has lost the joy of ministry does not have bad circumstances, but bad connections. I love that, because we're all gonna hit bad circumstances. But what is your connection? 
And Paul is here saying, hey, I rejoice in this, and I rejoice in the fact that I'm worthy to be part of it. And then he says, listen, he says, uh, he says that he's uh, filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Listen carefully. For the sake of his body, which is the church. What is Paul telling you and I? What I'm going through is for the good of the church. And I'll do it anytime. That's what Paul says. I'll go through this anytime if it will benefit the church. This is a powerful quote. Johnny Erickson Tata, I think most of you know, right? Johnny's the girl that, as a young girl, she dove in a pool, uh, broke her neck, and has been completely paralyzed from the neck down ever since. And, you know, she, some of her writings are phenomenal. You talk about a person who should be mad and bitter and angry, and she's got such a different perspective of the goodness of God. And this is from her book called uh, The God I Love. Listen to this. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Oh, that's powerful, isn't it? Yeah, when we think about certain things, you know. I, I remember when I was diagnosed years ago with a tumor behind my right eye and kind of going through, what is that gonna look like? What's gonna happen? I got her book called Glorious Intruder. Phenomenal, just, it's just a devotional, just daily devotionals. But the insight this lady has from her perspective, not from everything's roses, but from a difficult perspective, it's powerful. Well, that's all Paul's saying. I'll gladly do this. I'll do it over and over and over for the sake of the church and so that the church can grow. Well, he goes on now. Listen, now he's on a roll, right? And now in verse 25, he says, I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Are you getting what he's saying? Listen, I am what I am, kind of like Popeye, right? He says, I am what I am by the will of God. It's not that Paul chose this. Go back and read. I challenge you, go back and just read about Paul and, and who he was and what, you know, what he was accomplishing as a young rabbi and what was going on. Listen, he went to the best of the best places. He was taught by one of the best leading rabbis. He was all about succeeding in that. Paul had no, listen, he had no ambition whatsoever to become a Christian minister. As a matter of fact, he persecuted the church. He even says he killed people. And he says, listen, now I'm doing what I'm doing by the will of God. God put me in this place. And here's what I know from my own experience. Once you figure out that you're where God wants you to be, you kind of can become one of those, in one of those places where you're unstoppable. Not that you're arrogant, not that you're pushing an agenda, but you know you're exactly where God wants you, doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you have a peace in that, and you have a confidence, because here's what you know. He's going to accomplish what he set out to accomplish, and you're just in it kind of for a ride. Now, that doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean you get lazy, doesn't mean you quit, but you're like, wow, I cannot believe what God is doing. I gotta be, you know, I'm in that place in ministry, I can't believe what God has done in me and through me in uh, 30 plus years I've been teaching the Bible and where I'm at, and I'm thinking, how does that happen? How does all of this, you know, just looking at this facility, just looking at your faces on a Thursday night, do you know how many churches don't even get half this many on a weekend service? 
here we are on Thursday night. It blows my mind. Yeah, that's, it's you guys, not us. But, but listen, I remember, I remember, and I say this often, when I first came to Calvary Chapel on Hereford Road, out, that was out on Hereford Road, we would do a Thursday night service and maybe have four people. And three of them were related to me. <laughs> and it's like, man, I can't believe what's happening now. And here's what I know, it's because of the will of God. Because God is doing a work. I've shared with you years ago, I was up on post doing something with the, with the chaplain and they were, they were doing something, the head chaplain uh, came to me, he was a colonel I think and came and, and uh, asked me why we were so successful. And I said, I can give you an answer but you're not gonna like it. And he said, well tell me. And I said, you're not gonna like my answer. Tell me. And I said, because we simply teach the Bible simply. And he said, then he said this, and he said, well, how come your youth ministry's so successful? What do you do there? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't do the youth. I go, you have to ask our youth guy. And he goes, okay, what about your children's ministry? I don't know. I just teach, I just show up to teach a Bible. And I, and I have to ask them. And then he walked off. He just like was shaking his head and walked off. And I'm, I'm sure he's thinking, what a goof. <laughs> and he walked off and two captains came up to me that were under him and they go, oh, you just blew his mind. <laughs> and I go, why? And they say, because he's the biggest control freak they've ever been under. <laughs> and he controls every detail. They go, even they did a sunrise service and he came and changed out the donuts because they were wrong donuts. And they go, and for you to go, I don't know. He's like freaking out. And then he, came, and he finally came back and gave me a book on church growth. <laughs> I told him, thank you very much. That was nice of you. I don't know where that book is today. But. <laughs> Listen, when you come to the place that you know where you're at because of the will of God, and even greater than that, here's what Paul says in that verse. He says, Listen, he says, because I, I've been given this stewardship from God, what I get to do. It's God entrusting me with something. It's not mine, it's his. And it's a stewardship of his. And I handle that as a steward, not as an owner, as a steward. And then, and then listen, I love, then he goes on and he says, listen, he says, to fulfill the word of God. Man, we've got to be people who are on and in the word of God. So Paul says that, and listen, as he goes on, to fulfill the word of God, verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Do you guys understand? You gotta get in your heads. We are a mystery. The church is a mystery. The church is not spoken of in the Old Testament. It's not there. And I think that's why so many people have a hard time with end times and eschatology. We're looking at that a little bit on the weekends. But listen, they don't, what we don't understand is we think that it's all about the church. It's not. We're a mystery. It's all about God working through the nation of Israel. And we just got grafted in. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're like, we're like you know, just kind of shoved in someplace for a time. And 
Nobody knew it was coming. Now, listen, when we talk about a mystery, it's not something you have to figure out biblically, a biblical mystery. A biblical mystery is something that has to be revealed by God. And in the New Testament, he's revealing, listen what he's revealing. He's revealing that the Jews and the Gentiles are gonna make up this thing called the church. And if you told a Jew in Paul's day that's what's happening, you know where you end up? In jail, beaten. And Paul says, this whole thing, he goes, listen, this, he says, he says I'm here to, to uh, 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 fulfill the word of God, which is this mystery hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to who? His saints. It's been revealed to us. And we have this tremendous privilege of being part of what God is doing, not because we earned it, not because we're great, but because he is. And we've been grafted into this program of his, and I kind of feel this way, and we're gonna get grafted out someday when the rapture happens. And so we're that mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is one of my favorite verses. And here's what it says. The secret things belong to God. I love that, because when people ask me some, like they get all mysterious, well, what about this? And I go, don't know, the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. What about this? Don't know. Secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And then he goes on to say, even in that passage, that the Lord will reveal them in his time. And so this thing, the church, was revealed when Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, and then all of a sudden this new work started that blew everybody's mind that Paul's part of and that he's telling them, hey, we're part of this. God has revealed this to his saints, verse 27, and to them, remember who them is? The saints, right? To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of, his of, of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles. Stop, don't read. I want you to get the, uh, we got the mystery going now. Listen, and, and here's what he says, God revealed this to who? Gentiles. What was the rub in the first century? Gentiles. We were the rub, man. And people couldn't get a hold of that. They could not get in their minds. They could not comprehend how God could love Gentiles. That's just like insane to them. It's just like, why would God love those guys? Doesn't he know they were just created for firewood and hell? They're not good for nothing. Why would God love them? And then you have this maniac rabbi who's on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, God says, excuse me, Paul, but would you mind going into a minute? That's not what God did, did he? He knocked him off his horse. It always cracks me up, people go, you know God's a perfect gentleman. He would not do anything. Ask Paul, he got knocked off a horse, man. God interrupted his life, God intervened and God invaded his world just like he's done in every single person in here who's born, been born again. We think we're going one direction and boom, God just kind of explodes everything. And I love this idea. He says, listen, this mystery which God revealed to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of, his glory, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, listen, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. If there's one part of this passage that needs to be in like big, bold letters, it should be Christ in you, the hope of glory. What was the mystery? The mystery was not so much Jew and Gentile, although that's a mystery. The mystery is that Christ would indwell in us. That's the mystery that he decides to take up residence. That's like mind-boggling, isn't it? Do you ever stop? Do you ever lay in bed sometimes? I do this. I'm weird. I'm from Bisbee. I can be weird. I lay there sometimes and I think, the creator of the universe is in me. That's pretty mind-boggling. I wish that I would do it more when I'm tempted to sin than at that point I would realize the creator of the universe is in me and I don't have to do that. But shouldn't that be the way we walk through this world? Christ in you. Here's the mystery that Christ would come and indwell, and then especially Gentiles. But Christ would come and indwell in us, and that is the hope of glory. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because Jesus lives in me. And listen, Jesus isn't going anywhere. How privileged are we to live in an era and to live in this church age, this thing called a mystery, and be able to have a personal relationship with the one who made everything. That is mind-boggling. And the fact that he would live in us, do you ever think sometimes he likes, I know you guys are good. I think sometimes he's going, oh, Pat, for sure, really? Like, why are we doing this? I don't know, Lord, I'm stupid, that's why. (laughs) Christ in you, the hope of glory. And just rest on that, huh? Man, if something's going on in your heart and in your life tonight, here's the word, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're feeling defeated and beat up, just kind of remember this. This was another one of my tattoos. This would be a great one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just repeat that. Get that in your heart. And remember that. So then, then listen, he's not done. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. Now, now here's what I love. Listen, as Paul's getting into this, he's kind of laid out the whole thing and, and kind of brought to forefront what this is all about. And then here's, here's what he says. Listen, Paul, the apostle, or anybody, anybody who's, a believer, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Listen to what he says. We need to be people who proclaim the name of Jesus, proclaim him to others. And that doesn't always mean you're gonna do it with loud words. Sometimes you're gonna do it with your life. Sometimes you're gonna do something that the world would not expect anybody to do and they're gonna be a little bit dumbfounded like, why did you do that? Because I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. And we proclaim him. You and I have this tremendous privilege of letting the world know there's something more than all of this that we see in this muck and this mire we're walking through. And too often right now, especially right now in our world, in our, in our country, there's way too many Christians complaining and moaning and kicking dirt and doing stuff. We're supposed to be proclaiming him. 
We're busy about letting people know about him. And then I love this. This is, this is more, you know, maybe just for me, but I think all of us can glean from this. Hey, first of all, we preach Christ and him crucified. We don't, did you ever notice, have you ever read your New Testament, read the Gospels? Did Jesus ever get into the political scene? No. Did Paul try and change and kick Nero out of office? No. He just went about his business. He went about proclaiming him and proclaiming the gospel. And then, and then he says this, listen, then also he says, warning every man and teaching every man, admonishing people, letting them know this is not right, this is not the way you want to live, Let's live this way, and then you teach people how to live that way, how to trust God, how to have more confidence in their relationship with him, how to allow that to affect how they live and what they do. Someone put it to, kind of to this effect. If you just had signs on the highway telling you what not to do, instead of where you're going, you'd get lost, right? We also need to know where we're going. And here Paul has that, that full ministry of he's saying, listen, I proclaim him, I proclaim Jesus, I admonish people. Hey, we need to know sin is sin and sin is ugly and sin is destructive. That's important. I know it's not popular, but it's important. But then even greater than that, we need to know how not to sin. And we need to be taught. And I love the idea, did you hear what Paul said? Every man. We admonish every man and we teach every man. That includes women for gender people. He's teaching everybody. But here's the thing. Did Paul teach everybody? No, he was kind of limited, wasn't he? He was limited to what he could do. He only could go so far. He had these certain limitations that Paul had to stay in and had to do. And I think it's important for us to realize we have some limitations. Do you know that Jesus limited his ministry? Let me put it to you this way. Listen, whether it's Jesus or Paul, there are specific limits. One, their ministry was within God's will. Keep your ministry within God's will. Don't get outside of that. Don't get into other things. And then, it's God's timing. I think that's the hardest one. Now, it's hard for me. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a patient guy. I'm like way impatient. And I, I admire patient people. Like I see some people like standing in a line like, oh, it's fine. If I'm in a line, I'm like dancing, I'm looking, I'm like trying to get, I'm trying to figure out how I can get around people. I'm figuring out. One time in California, we were going to a conference and I was with Pastor Robert. He was here last week. And everybody says he's impatient. And I'm with him and we're standing in line and I'm doing this. Do you ever do that behind the line? And he goes, is that helping Pat? And I go, no, but punching you is going to help me in a minute if you don't shut up. And listen, man, but you have to wait for God's timing. You have to be a person, I'm going to wait for God's timing. And then you got to be involved in God's objectives. Get your, get your focus on what does God want to accomplish? What is God doing? And you start narrowing, and you get into that. And again, looking at Jesus, and then, and then uh, uh, you, know, you get into God's kingdom. 
I want to teach God's kingdom. All the other stuff around me, it's okay, but I need to get focused on that. And then lastly, I need to limit, uh, I need to limit my ministry within God's people and, and both limit their time and with a few, I'm not gonna reach everybody in the world. And I'm not gonna get, listen, in our church, I'm not gonna get close to everybody in this church. It's impossible. Jesus wasn't close to all the people who followed him, was he? I always like to use that example. Jesus was close to 12. And he was a lot closer to three, right? There's always those three guys. And then he was super close with one. Have you ever thought about John? the apostle of love, who, by the way, this always blows my mind, was given the revelation of Jesus Christ that he wrote. That's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? So listen, you have to understand those things. And, and Paul says, listen, we're doing this and we, and, and we want to preach and we want to warn and we want to teach every man in all wisdom. That's what we want to do. We want to we push forward in our ministry here in this fellowship. It's about bringing people into the correct knowledge of Jesus Christ, having a relationship with him, growing in that relationship. Hey, I want to see people get saved. I love to watch people get saved but I also want to see them mature and grow and change. And so what does he say? Listen, we do this, and he says that we may, at the end of verse 28, present every man. Now he's still into that every man. Have you, have you been following that in this verse? We admonish every man, we teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. Now perfect here doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means complete I want people to grow up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't need to be a bunch of babies. We don't need to be a bunch of infants. We need to grow in our knowledge of who he is. We need to, we need to keep going. You should be further, uh, further down the road in your relationship with him than when you first started. You should be gaining knowledge, gaining insight, gaining insight into who you are, gaining insight into who he is, finding out what he has for you as an individual. Where are we going with this, Lord? I, I, I don't believe God's done with me yet. I know some people. Someone gave me retirements on my desk. That's why you don't hire young people. Punks, punks. Just stick this thing in the middle of my desk. Here's your retirements. Or retire your mints. I think God's got stuff for me that I can't even imagine. And I think he has stuff for you that you can't even imagine. Let's keep going. Let's go on to maturity. I don't want to be the guy next year that I am this year. I want to grow. I want to get closer to him. I want to find out more. That's what Paul's talking about. Listen, it's one thing for people to get saved, but I think it's our responsibility as the church not just to see people get saved. And bottom line, I think it's great when people get saved here, but they should be getting saved all over, right? You guys should be witnessing and sharing, and then you should be bringing them here to grow, right? Here's where we grow. Here's where we mature. That's why we spend time teaching the Bible verse by verse. That's why we go through so we can mature in the Lord, so we can have that understanding. Oh, and then Paul's kind of wrapping this up. He says, to this end, 
I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, here's what blows my mind. He uses that word labor and striving, which labor, labor means working to the point of exhaustion, going so long that you're just gonna drop. And again, I think we should be doing that. I think the, the work of the ministry should be something that we're gonna go and we're gonna go and we're gonna go. Nothing bothers me more than to see people playing at ministry. And that's what I call it. I like to play at life and work in ministry. I wanna be here. I wanna put time in. I wanna put effort in. Hey, I'm going to prepare and study, not just so I can do a good job. I have an obligation for you guys to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're part of the stewardship we've talked about. And I have a responsibility to be faithful to that. So I need to labor in that way to the point of exhaustion. And then the last, the second part, he says, listen, striving, striving is, is competing as an, as an athlete in an event. When people go to the Olympics, have you ever seen anybody before whatever they're competing in going, man, I hope I get third? <laughs> Nobody does that, do they? They're there and they're gonna do excellent and they're gonna do their best and they're going for the gold. I don't think anybody watched the Olympics this year, but other than that, usually. But do you understand, listen, nobody, nobody shows up to an athletic event hoping they lose. You don't go there going, man, it's be good to lose today. So tired of winning all the time. Win, 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 that's all we do. In ministry, you gotta look at ministry as, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna strive just like an athlete strives to be the best. And that's what Paul, listen, that's what he says he does. I love this. And then, and then you might think, well, man, that sounds like you're gonna just like, get wasted. Look at what he says, because here's the good part. He says, I labor and striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I believe, listen, I believe if you're where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, in God's timing, you will not get burned out. Nothing bothers me more than in our generation, oh, I got burned out, I need a sabbatical. Sorry if you're doing that, but you know. I had a guy call me once, I need a sabbatical. I go, why don't you just quit then, just quit. And he kind of got up, what do you mean? I said, just quit. I go, did Paul take a sabbatical? Jesus take a sabbatical? Well, yeah, but they're, no, they're not. Listen, if you're working in a way that you're at that point where you wanna quit, you're not doing it in God's way. Here's what Paul says, everything I do, he's empowering me to do. Like, I love doing what I'm doing. I love the opportunity that God has put in front of me and the privilege he's given me. Do I get exhausted sometimes? Yeah but not to the point where I want to stop doing it. I get exhausted, get a breath, take a five-minute nap, get up, and get going. This whole idea that we need to, you know, pull out a ministry, and I, and I hear people say, well, you know, I'm going to stop serving for a while because I'm pretty tired. And maybe you just did that. No, I'll just leave it at that. I was going to say something. I was going to say something snotty, so I'll just, like, leave it there. If God is working through you, you don't burn out. You don't get tired in that way. I mean, you can get tired, but you know what I'm talking about. Paul, Paul says, man, I'm gonna keep going and I'm gonna keep going. And I think that's what we're called to do. And we need to be people who we understand it's not me doing it. 
And I think that's where the rub comes in. You see, I don't feel like I have to be real creative because I'm not. I'm not a creative person. And people go, you were an artist. No, I was a craftsman, not an artist. Artists are artists. Craftsmen are clunky. So listen, I know what I did. And yeah, maybe I was creative in that way, but I'm not creative with words. Someone asked me once, have you ever thought about writing a book? Yeah, for about five minutes. I go, I don't know how to write. And I don't know those things. So what happens in this ministry happens because it's God's work and what it's God's doing. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't put a stress on me. I don't get stressed out. I don't, get, I don't have that strain. The most stressed out I ever got in ministry was building this building. It was a stress when we went to build this one. I remember talking to the staff. All I ever wanted to do is just teach a Bible. Why am I having to build this stupid building and go through all this stress and have people yell at you and have people go wrong and have this? Now that we're, I'll never get stressed out about teaching the Bible because that's what he's called me to do. And here's the thing, then he does it through me. Doesn't mean I don't put energy in it. Doesn't mean I don't work at it. Doesn't mean I don't even work to the point of exhaustion at it. But he's the one that accomplishes it. And if you're working that way, you can go forever. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you with Paul, Lord, Lord just uh, ministering to these people, working with these people. And God, I do pray. I pray for myself. I pray for them, Lord, as we think about what we just read. It's so easy, God, to get kind of sidetracked on one little portion and start focusing on one little thing. And yet, God, the reality is everything that happens in a church that's functioning in the spirit, that's functioning the way God has called us to function is happening because God is accomplishing it. And we are privileged to be part of that. We're privileged to be able to uh, serve you in a way that serves others and encourages others. And so God, I pray that we would get focused on you and allow you to have your way in us and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.